This episode is brought to you by Audible. Audible is the first place I go to keep my business skills sharp. They offer over 150,000 books on business, finance, planning, and much more. They also have a great selection of fiction that keeps me entertained when I'm just not up for some serious content. I love it because I can buy a book, download it to my iPhone, and listen while running errands or at the gym. Get your free trial at freelancershow.com slash audible. This episode is brought to you by CodeSchool. CodeSchool offers interactive online courses in Ruby, JavaScript, HTML, CSS, and iOS. Their courses are fun and interesting and include exercises for the student. To level up your development skills, go to freelancershow.com slash CodeSchool. This episode is brought to you by ProXPN. If you're out and about on public Wi-Fi, you never know who might be listening. With ProXPN, you no longer have to worry. ProXPN is a VPN solution which sends all of your traffic over a secure connection to one of their servers around the world. To sign up, go to ProXPN.com and use the promo code TMTCS, short for Teach Me to Code Screencasts, to get 10% off for life. Hey everybody, and welcome to episode 142 of The Freelancer Show. This week on our panel, we have Curtis McHale. Hello. Eric Davis. Hi. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv, and this week we're going to be talking about fitness. So set your New Year's resolutions, and if you're like me, they'll last a whole week or two into January. But yeah, I I know that both Eric and Curtis have some pretty, I don't know if rigid is the right word, but you guys get out and run or bike or whatever regularly. And so I, I thought that that might be a good topic to talk about, especially since I'm in the habit and then I'm not in the habit and then I am in the habit and then I'm not in the habit. <laughs> yeah, that's, you have a habit of not being in a habit. Yeah. And I'm, I'm trying <laughs> to find ways of changing my mindset to be better about it. But I think one of the things that hangs people up is just that they don't know what to do. And so I would really like to just dig into what you guys generally do for your workouts or, you know, whatever you call them, you know, whether it's a workout or a getaway or escape or what, you know how you think about it and how you kind of plan out what you're going to do, what gear you're using. Why don't you start it out, Eric? What's your regular weekly routine, Eric? When we're recording this, it's basically mid-December. And so it's basically holiday season, craziness, just, you know, people running around doing things. And then I'm in the Pacific Northwest where it's cold. It's even rainier. Um, It's not that bad, but it's enough to like make it really hard to get outside. So right now I'm actually kind of in just like a holding pattern. I've done it for about a week right now, but I'm basically just doing three runs and it's about, I think, five hours of running. So it's like I have a one hour run in the middle of the week. And then on the weekend, I have a three hour long run and then a one hour run the next day. But before that, I was doing 30 or 40 miles a week, I think six to seven and a half hours uh, a week. I can't remember exactly. I can pull it up in a minute, but I'm, I'm actually following a training plan. So it's, I'm going from where I was to being able to run a 50k race in uh, what is it? This one's 24 weeks, and so I'm hoping to get back into that in about a month or so, and then be able to do a race in May. I think is when it is. 50k. That's about what 31 miles. Yeah. Yay math. Yeah. So it's it's basically like a marathon and another 5k on the end. Gotcha. What fitness program are you following? It's from a book. It's Relentless Forward Progress. It's a ultra running book. There's several of them in there. This one is the 50K race doing, you peak around 50 miles per week. Um, there's different race lengths, like there's a 50K, 50 mile, 100K, 100 mile. And then in each of those, there's like, how much training do you want? Like, do you want to run 50 miles a week? I think it's 70 miles a week or 100 miles a week. The longer races take longer amounts of training. And then the more miles you do per week, the better you're going to perform. 
And so it's kind of like the, the two main variables in, in at least the ultra running training plans. Gotcha. Curtis, what about your program? And we only have one car. So my day from my office starts with a six, seven kilometer bike ride in and ends with a six, seven kilometer bike ride home every day. Um, and then sometimes I just take the long way because it's fun and do a few extra kilometers. Um, but I usually run or ride, but I'm mainly running right now three days a week. And then I'll have a fourth day that's kind of an optional this time of year, which is my Friday afternoons. I do what feels relaxing. So sometimes it's a hike, sometimes it's a bike ride, sometimes it's reading at the coffee shop. Uh, and I'm not really following any specific plan. I'm newish to running. I've done tons and tons of cycling, but kind of newish to running. Uh, and would also like to do an ultra marathon. Yeah, so I'm, Eric said in the chat, I'm building base because I have a great cardio system for it, but my legs just aren't used to the pounding. And so I have done, I think my biggest week so far was 36 kilometers, and it was all trails and all mountains. And some of the trails are steep enough that it was not so much running as determined hiking because they're just so steep. And so that's what I'm doing. I'm just continuing to increase. Last week was tough with home renovations and sick kids and stuff. So I didn't get out last week uh, much at all. But it's kind of expected this time of year. I'm not that concerned about it. And I'll be getting out some other days later in the week again, back on track. Right. And I know from the conversations we've had in the chat room, we have a chat room on Skype that we just all hang out in, that an ultra marathon is anything longer than 26.2 miles, right? Yeah, so that's that's 42 kilometers, so anything 50 kilometers and above is an ultramarathon. Because I do best at really steep stuff and determined hiking, so my wife is like a way faster runner than me, but as soon as it gets steep, I am significantly faster than her, both up and down. So I'm looking for one that is particularly hard. And then like the worse the weather is, the less, like it just doesn't matter to me. So one of my big events that I did a couple weeks ago when I was off or taking a day off was like, pouring rain the whole time into snow through knee-deep snow up into the other mountain and then back. It was like a four-hour, 14-kilometer run, determined hike with you know knee-deep snow involved and whipping wind, and I came down soaking wet, and it was excellent. I had a lot of fun. Gotcha. So yeah, see, I'm, I'm the opposite of that. Like I started running, and I've done, I think for the first few years, I was mostly on the street, and now I'm trying to get off on the trails. And so you know, I'm used to very flat and very consistent pacing. And so hills and going on trails where it's like up and down, up and down, turning, all that stuff, like I'm a lot slower. And so for me, between that and then, like I said, the winter weather, I'm like the opposite kind of runner as Curtis. Like I'm trying to build up my, you know, my hill running, my hill strength, all that. And, you know, I'm trying to do as many trails as I can now because that's a weakness I have. Yeah, and I have a big background in like, so we used to guide outdoor stuff. So in hiking, in, you know, hauling huge loads and canoes and stuff over rocky terrain and weird stuff and lots of rock climbing as well. So I, like, I particularly enjoy the really hard trails that seem really steep and really hard, yeah, really difficult. One thing that I want to get into with this really quickly, and I know we've talked about it on the show before some, is what benefits do you guys see from this? Just your fitness overall, right? So, like, my cardio is very, very low. So just to do anything, my heart doesn't have to work very hard. It gives me lots of energy to play with the kids too. So even like the mornings I work at home or the days I work at home, I always feel like I have less energy than when I've ridden in. It's just a 20-minute bike ride. I don't even ride very hard. It's just about 20 minutes out in the kind of fresh air, sometimes out in the pouring rain. It just makes me feel better. And I look forward to it. So I'll come home and run sometimes or run at like 5 a.m. sometimes and I just enjoy it. And specifically when I'm out, like out in the mountains, so just I feel a lot of peace out there. I get out and look around and not much out there but me and the dog and it just feels nice to be out say up in the mountains with no one around yeah and like on a more like day-to-day benefit 
because I'm running, you know, we'll say five hours a week, I've figured it out and got it dialed in so I can listen to podcasts or audiobooks during that time. So, you know, at, I think it's like I have it 25% faster. So I get maybe seven hours of audio listening in. Like that's a lot of focused time I can spend on that stuff that I normally wouldn't because if I'm sitting at home, I'm either wanting to work or I'm wanting to do something. I don't have, I can't like just sit there and listen to an audiobook and take notes. But when I'm out running, my body's pretty occupied by the running activity. And like Curtis said earlier, like most training happens at such like a low, like a low speed, like you're not really pushing yourself that hard. And so I can kind of have my mind occupied by the audio and, and learn that way. And so like there's, I mean, I, I go through podcasts and books so much faster now. I find that so funny. I feel the same thing when it comes to biking, Eric. Exactly the same thing because I've been biking since I've been racing since I was like 14. So I have over like 20 years of riding experience. Running, I find it much harder to focus because I don't have 20 years of adaptation towards that. So, like, I can go hard and set personal records of cycling, and I like I don't even really have to think about it much. Where I can focus on the audio just fine. Yeah, I have yeah. to say that where when I've been in the habit, it's been really nice to take the time and you know I I get I do the same thing. I listen to podcasts or I listen to an audio book or something, and you know just because it doesn't just and I think this is what you guys are saying. It's not just the content that's coming in; it's the fact that you know because I'm out just running and doing whatever, it kind of turns off all of the other noise in my head as well, and so I, I can really just absorb whatever it is that I'm listening to. Right. And there's, I don't know the exact studies or results, but I think it's if you exercise and then I think it's within 20 or 30 minutes afterwards, like you have, I think it's hormones or something, something is elevated. And so you can actually learn and focus and concentrate even better. And so I think there's some studies where like they made people exercise on a bike and then learn stuff and their learning like was actually improved over just learning, just, you know, sit down in a quiet place and do it. I can actually like, I can think back to a couple like big decisions or strategies or tactics I remember and I can tell you exactly where I was running and exactly what I was doing on that day because it like gets burned into my brain in a certain way. I think I've heard that it's like blood flow and oxygen saturation in your brain and so it works better. I don't know what it is, but I've kind of felt the same phenomenon myself. You know, you just yeah, and I even more clarity on slow mornings. I'll even take a walk, and it's probably about one kilometer walk just out my door here in a bit of a field, and I'll walk around that and feel more energized for the afternoon. I don't know if we've dug into like what kind of gear you guys use. So I'm kind of an amateur runner myself. I have a bike, but I don't ever use it. So I'm really curious as to you know what recommendations you have for people to you know, let's say they want to get into biking or running, you know, how do they get started How do, and, and what kind of equipment do they need? I think you need to be realistic about what you're going to do first. So I have two bikes. One is a fairly nice road bike and one is like a relatively inexpensive single speed. And that's the one I lock up and commute with most of the time. I have a nice road bike comes out, you know, on other days and I'm going for say longer rides, not just around town. But I think when you're looking at bikes, if you're looking at say a road bike with some gearing on it, a good price point to start at is probably $700, seven or eight. Uh, I would say a thousand Canadian um, is probably where you want to spend. And that's where you stop trading really poor quality just for price, um, which is a reasonably big expense. But I know like at our house, we spend significantly less because we do not have a second car. And if we're running it, depends on the type of runner you are. I know Eric runs in sandals and I run in like more traditional running shoes. And because of all the trails I do, like I have Gore-Tex, like fully Gore-Tex sealed running shoes with little gravel gaiters over them. The brand of shoe that I like running in is the Solomon Speedcross 3 GTX. That's the Gore-Tex ones I wear for real heavy trails. And I have a set of 
uh, Nike Air Pegasus trail shoes for lighter trails and just that I use for the road. Um, bike brands that I really like would be Trek or Giant or BMC or, um, in fact, almost all those are made by Giant anyways because they're the biggest bicycle manufacturer in the world. Are they a Giant well. bicycle manufacturer? They are. They actually do almost all the manufacturing uh, overseas for every other bike brand, almost. Oh, not quite. And then my single speed is from State. Huh. Really, if you go to a competent bike shop that is like, that's what they do. They sell bikes, not just some department store that sells bikes and everything else, then you're probably going to be in good hands. Uh, and just go in with a proper expectation of cost for bikes. And then for, same for running, at least in my experience, you go to a competent running store, not just a department store or not just like sport check that happens to sell shoes as well. Like I buy some workout shoes there for lifting weights or I buy some clothing there, but I do not buy my running shoes there. I go to a place that can actually look at my feet and look at my knees and look at my shoes and how they work, how they've worn and then analyze and help me find the proper type of shoe for me. Yeah, I went into a running store. That's where I got my running shoes. And, you know, they, they have all of the right stuff and they, they measure and they, you know, they had me run in the shoes and walk in the shoes and do all kinds of other things in the shoes. And it turned out that one of my feet is a little bit shorter than the other. So they, you know, they helped me compensate for that. And yeah, it was, it was a totally different buying experience than going to Walmart and picking out what they pass off as running shoes. And granted, it, it was mm-hmm. more expensive, but. Thing yeah, but having is, busted up knees is not worth it. Yeah. Right. That's even more expensive than spending an extra $30 on shoes. Yep. What were you going to say, Eric? I think that's something you have to keep in mind too, is especially if you're starting new with anything, you could pay a lot of money on stuff and you don't even know if you're going to stick with it. So I would try to like limit what you need to buy, try to make do with what you have with the exception of stuff like safety things, like, you know, safety gear for a bicycle or get a good pair of running shoes. This is kind of, I followed the strategy off and on. Like, don't go out and buy running clothes until you're running solidly. Get running shoes, but don't go out and buy special water bottles or fuel or anything that stuff until you actually feel you need that. Um, because you can, I mean, you could dump thousands of dollars on that. And especially if you haven't got started, like, that's going to make it really hard. It's going to make your exercise you're running very complex. Yeah, like all of my running gear, in air quotes, is actually doubled up cycling gear. I'm using my leg warmers for cycling. I bought like two pairs of boxers that are better for running. And then I just end up like a couple pairs of loose shorts. But I think that was like a $75 investment. And then the shoes. And I've always actually had a pair of like Gore-Tex hiking style shoes. I just got ones that were built more for running than hiking. So they could do double duty in my hiking as well, which we do with the family all the time anyways. Yeah, that's one thing that I've been wondering about. So when I go run, I'm usually wearing gym shorts and a shirt, you know, running shirt that breathes pretty easily and and things like that. But I'm really curious, you know, it gets pretty cold here and I like running outside, but once it gets really cold, I just don't because I hate being cold. So do you have a recommendation for that? Run harder. Well, here, I'm going to, we'll put in the show notes. I found a site, I guess beginning of this winter, I was doing a lot of really heavy trail runs where it was like, you're, I mean, it's through Forest Park, you're literally going through a forest. And it was like, if I got hurt or had to pull out, like I would have to find a trailhead to get picked up. But there's a site called Dress My Run that you can put in your gender. Um, you can say like, if you are neutral, if you want to be slightly warmer, whatever. And it will use your browser geolocation, um, the same API that Dark Sky uses, which is like a weather forecasting app. And it will tell you, if you're going to go out running right now, wear this gear. And you can also say, like, what's it going to be like tomorrow morning? So if you want to lay your gear out ahead of time. I've used this like crazy um, just to see, like, okay, here's, you know, three-hour run. At the beginning, I'm going to need to be warm, but I'm going to be back in shorts by the end of it. So figure out what I want to wear. 
Um, and it's pretty close on. I have my setting as slightly warmer. I run slower, so I don't want to be underdressed. Yeah, and I rely a lot on my just outdoor experience as well, right? But like when I'm up in the mountains, I'm also carrying an emergency bivy sack. I carry an extra like 500 calories that I'm not even planning to eat. They're just there in case. And I carry a bunch of other stuff like that as emergency gear so that uh, like an extra warm layer in a Ziploc bag so that it's totally dry and I could put it on if I needed to. One of the actually the best pieces of gear I got recently was a buff, which is Usually you see them as a neck gaiter, but they make one that's like a full over-the-head balaclava toque thing. And that has been excellent because you can it's stretchy enough. You can pull it back. like So it's just an ear warmer or a neck warmer or just like a toque. And it's very it's quite thin, so it's good for running. Um, and I found it great even, say, I was up on the mountains in like minus 14 Celsius. And it was perfectly warm as I was going. Yeah, and it's actually the buff. And they make a winter one, too, with a big fleece liner that I, I don't need for where I am around here. And I've got lots of other toques for really, really cold weather when I'm out hiking up, up in the snow in the mountains. Yeah, and just for like case in point, like I actually have a, it's like a fleece, I don't know what you call it, where it goes over your head and all that, and it kind of comes down your neck. I have that from when I was snowboarding in high school. So it's, I don't know how old, and I've ran using, from the same era, like snowboarding gloves. Like they have like an inner fleece lining and then like an outer waterproof. I've ran in that. I've I've ran in old ratty t-shirts and stuff like that. Especially in wintertime, you want to like layer up like, Kind of the clothes you don't want to be caught dead in if you go out socially. You can layer that stuff up to keep you warm. And if it gets messed up or it gets tore up, it's not a big deal. Yeah, and that's what most of my stuff is. Like even the gloves I run in most of the time are my cycling gloves that happen to be windstopper. And then my warmer ones, I have like ski patrol mitts when you're snowboarding and doing that stuff. So the only real things I bought were the running shoes and, and the boxers, a pair of shorts. It was not, I've not spent a lot of, on extra other gear out there. So what do you do if you're out running and you've overdressed? Do you usually run with a backpack or something Learn and throw from the stuff it. in? My rule of thumb is that when you get out like when you get out the door, you should be like, ooh, it's just a little chilly maybe, right? Because you're going to warm up. Yeah. Um that's why I always did cycling, like my first couple minutes out or first probably even twenty minutes out cycling. Like I'd be like, ooh, it's just a little chilly and then I'd warm up. Um now cycling is easy because you usually have lots of pockets on the back. So I'd, you know, bundle up one of my vests and put it in the back. But I run, when I'm up in the mountains, I run with a um, Nathan Vapor Cloud as well, which is 15 liters of storage and a hydration bladder and lots of little side pockets. So I also carry a headlamp in that even when I'm up in the mountains. I carry that almost any time running on the trail just because it's in my bag, actually. Yeah, and I think they say you want to be 10 or 20 degrees colder when you start than, like, or dress for 10 to 20 degrees warmer um, because you'll warm up that much. Like sometimes in races, you'll see some like the really professional runners, they'll have like a whole bunch of stuff on and as they run, they strip it off and just throw it away because it doesn't matter to them. For when you're training, like I, I would like take off my jacket and wrap it up, tie it up as I'm running and just carry it. Um, I also have a backpack, but it's, there's really not much room in mine. Mine's a smaller one. And it also depends on practice. I mean, you go out, I like to test out like food and like different layers of clothing on my shorter runs. So if I do screw something up, I only deal with it for like maybe an hour. And then on my longer run, that's where it's like, okay, I'm, I know what I need to have. I'm, I'm dialed in. Um, and especially when you're getting started, like if you're going for like a 20 minute run, a 30 minute run, you can kind of suffer through being overdressed or underdressed a little bit. It's, it's not too bad. And very worst case, you just stop, turn around and come home. Yeah. Like I've said a few times, I'm relying on not only 20 years of cycling, but like guiding and all the other stuff being many, many hours away from anyone that can help me and make, needing to make sure that I have all the stuff I need for myself and for other people. So yep. I 
possibly pack lighter than I would recommend other people do because I make sure uh, just I guess because I've been out there enough and you know I've even you know humped myself or got myself out of um, you know dislocated shoulders and other things you know mostly by myself before. That makes sense. One thing I want to touch on real quick before we get out of the gear is, uh, like I said about like, you know, use what you have. I have a log of my stuff. I started running in 2011, but I actually got serious in 2012. And I was doing, what's it called? Couch to 5K, where it's a, a pretty good training plan to get you from, I don't run to doing a 5K. And so for the entire training, which I don't remember, I don't remember how many weeks it was. It's probably eight, maybe a dozen weeks. I was just using my normal stuff, like just old t-shirts. I had some kind of like standard exercise pants, like they don't wick away moisture or anything. And when I finished the program, my reward was to go out and buy like, you know, specific like Nike running clothes that I was going to run in the race with. So I used kind of, used what I had and then used the motivation of I can get these really fancy runner-esque stuff, but only after I finish it. And I found that actually worked really good. And I, I feel that's like the same thing I wear on any race that I can because it's like, it feels like I earned it. And that's like kind of an accomplishment to me. Yeah. The one big, the only real caveat I'd say, Eric, is especially if you're going on trails and you're out away from some help, is that wearing cotton is not good because it was absorbed 100% of its weight in water. And once it's wet, water also pulls your body heat away 25% faster than air. So cotton kills is what I've always always been told. But even I used to have a shirt that was just some, like my uncle got it when he was a teenager at some basketball camp that was 50-50. And that's what I'd wear in the summer because it didn't feel, uh, at that time, 10 years ago, didn't feel as odd as the polyester stuff, but you know, wasn't 100% cotton. Yeah, that makes sense. I want to talk a little bit about just getting in the habit. And I know we've talked about this on the show before, but I know people are going to ask about it too. So how do you get into the habit of doing it? How do you make it work? Or maybe more appropriately, how do you find time? Because for me, finding time usually... You don't find time. Time is not hidden in the cushions of your couch, Chuck. (laughs) You plan time. So what I do is I say, like, we're, you know, I'm I'm running on these three days. My wife is running on these other three days. This is the times we're running at, and the other person is available to take care of the kids then. Right? When I'm running first thing in the morning, then at 9 o'clock at night, I am getting ready for bed. I'm unpacking all my running clothes, putting them downstairs, and getting them out. And then I set my alarm to get up. So you don't find time in your couch cushions. You actually have to make it. So Michael Hyatt does a Design Your Ideal Week blog post a while ago. And like you'd put it on your calendar. I am working out at these times. You'd, you know, If you have a spouse and kids, you'd talk to the spouse and say, like, you'll be around for the kids then? Yes. Okay. Now we've worked it out. And your spouse says, why aren't you going out right now? And not, thinking, not leaving it till oh, it's 5 a.m. Okay, now I need to find my stuff and not wake people up. No, you're not going to go then. Yeah, that makes sense. For me, like... I was eating healthy, you know, kind of taking care of my health in all other ways except for exercise. And I found I just, I didn't have as much energy as I wanted. And, you know, I've read a lot of stuff and kind of came to the conclusion that even if I'm spending like five hours exercising a week and trying to make that a priority and trying to figure out where that's going to go, I'm going to get more than five hours of my life. You know, I'm going to be, you know, live longer. I'm not going to be as tired and have to just lounge on the couch and just like not be able to function. Like I have kind of like a net benefit. So there's a cost of time of doing this and effort and all that. But the benefit of doing it is much, much more. And as I've been running, like I've actually found like I can be uncomfortable more than I used to be. Like if say like it's I'm I'm on a call with a client and the client's being difficult. Usually I would start freaking out kind of I wouldn't get emotional but I could feel like my pulse starting to speed up and then once I get off the call with the client I would like panic for a few hours trying to figure out what they wanted or 
you know, jump through hoops or whatever it was. Now I feel like I can talk to a client, go through a difficult conversation. I'm much more calm, much more focused on it. And afterward, I'm not having like this train wreck of emotions. And I think a lot of that comes back to my running. You know, I'm, I'm out there sometimes like for an hour, really, really pushing hard, struggling because of some reason. And I'm understanding that I can do this push this hard and I'm still alive. You know, being on the phone and having a client yell at me, that's nothing compared to doing a three hour run. Um, and so I think like having that kind of benefit and seeing that come in play makes it so exercise. And in my case, specifically running is it's an important part of my life. And that's it's not so much a I want to add running to my life. It's I want to incorporate running into my life. Running is a part of your self-care, too, right? Like, you know, when my kids are 20, I'll be 50. Do I want to be barely able to keep up with them and not be able to go out and do stuff with them? Or do I want to be able to go out there with them and still be in decent shape and be able to play with my grandkids when I'm 55 and 60? That's the things I want to do, right? And part of that self-care is getting out and you know being in decent shape. I'm by no means some epic athlete or anything. I'm just in decent shape. Right. Like when I'm 50 and 60, I want to be able to run a marathon with my granddaughter or something, you know, and running it's interesting like a lot of people think it's kind of it hurts your body and it's pretty abusive and it is at some points but trying to remember the statistics there's something like once you kind of you'll hit a level like you i think it's in your 20s of like this is going to be the fat like fastest you're going to get but you don't actually slow down and like can't run until you're like 60 70 or 80 like you can keep running until well into your old age and i know there's some people that are running that are even older than that and so it's actually a really, it's like a, a sport and exercise that you can do for a long, long time. You're not going to be super fast, but you can keep doing it. You can have that endurance. Yeah, and something I've, all, I've always found intriguing is that when you look at the longer a race gets, the older the top finishers usually are because they have all that adaptation for it, which is, again, why I'm taking things slow because, let's say, my legs are not used to the pounding, so I'm taking it slow. So if you're getting off the couch expecting to be able to go out and, like, I think I jumped right into, like, 5Ks almost week one. I did. And honestly, my legs were epically sore the first day because the muscle, the way you use your muscles is so different in cycling and in, and in running that I was sore, like epically sore the first day. The stairs hurt. But then I, you know, ramped up within a few weeks up to running 10Ks and running up mountains because I already had muscular strength in there from other things. It's the pounding that I'm letting, still letting my body work on or the, the road impact. Right. So you make time. I'm, I'm just going to go back a little bit. So you make time. No, you don't make time. You plan you your plan time out. Time. You cannot manufacture more time out of thin air. <laughs> yes, Coach Curtis. <laughs> no, it's true. It's definitely true. And the language I'm using definitely reflects my mindset. You know, so you plan ahead so that you can go and you plan to go. But yeah. Well, I think you need to remember to bite off, like, like I said, like I was just saying, you need to bite off what is suitable for you, Chuck, right? So going out and, like, my mother-in-law has started running, and she has improved her fitness conditioning um, a lot over the last number of years, but she's never really run. She used to brisk walk, and she's starting, like, we will run one light post, and then we will walk two light posts, and then we will run one light post and walk two light posts, and we will mm-hmm. do this you know, we're going to go out for 20 minutes or something. And that's the goal. And then once the 20 minutes are up, they just walk home, her and my father-in-law. And um, the running room, I forget the guy's name, but they actually do like a 10 in one. And you work up to be able to run 10 minutes and walk one. And your first marathon they walk you through in their program is that's how you do it. You do not run the whole thing. You run 10 and walk one or run nine and walk one, whatever it is. But you start off by like, I'm going to run one minute. And then I will walk nine and run two minutes and walk and walk eight. And so building yourself up and, not, again, not 
people, or especially adults, when we go out hiking with my four-year-old and we're hiking some very hard stuff, they're always like, this is so hard. How can she do this? And I think, but she is hiking with us like twice a month we're hiking stuff and she always carries her backpack. You were working in your stupid office all week and then decided the top of the mountain would be pretty today. So of course you hurt and it's hard for you. It's not hard for her because she's been doing it for all this time. Even if even though she's four and has to take 10 times the steps and we don't try and do it as fast as you, we do it slow. Yep. Like I said, I've been running for, I guess, going on three years now, maybe three and a half. I actually still do run walk. Right now I found what works good for me is I run for 90 seconds and I walk for 30 and that's why I said, like, I run a bit slower. Like, my run, I actually run significantly fast, but then I walk, and it lets me actually recover. And so I do that for, you know, like I said, a three, three and a half hour long run, like constantly running, walking, running, walking, you know, and a lot of times it's like a bit of power hiking, but I'm still a runner. Like, I still get it done. And I think unless you are like a, a actual, like, elite athlete, like, you know, you're going to win a race, like, this strategy is good for almost everyone else. Like, it's, it's really easy to do and you can vary your ratios. Like I started out where, like Curtis said, like I, I think I ran for a minute and then walked like three or four minutes and slowly started adjusting it as I was getting more fitness and getting better at it. And I mean, it, it's easy. It's great. And it's, if I'm feeling tired one day, I just walk a bit more. If I did a long run or maybe I'm feeling a bit sick or under the weather, I walk a bit more. You know, it's, it's kind of a, it's a bit of mindfulness about your body and how you're feeling and how you're actually working. Um, there's sometimes like, especially if I'm going downhill, I just keep running. Like I love going downhill really fast. So I don't need to slow down, take a walk break. And it's about enjoyment too, right? Like you should always be enjoying it. There's weeks, even when I've been cycling and I've been like on some training program because I had a coach for a full year and I get out there and I get partway into the ride and be like, basically, I don't want to ride all the flat stuff because it sucks. So I'm going to totally throw out the training plan today and I turn it like turn off the monitoring and telling me where I should be, my heart rates and stuff. I'm just going to go for a bike ride and enjoy myself. If that means I stop at the coffee shop and sit around for half an hour, that is totally fine. Because it should be fun. It is good for you, but it, again, it should be fun. At the same time, you should get enjoyment out of it. So it may not even be running, right? Just hiking or walking or whatever. Getting out there at all will be beneficial for you. Yeah, and that's the exact reason why I, I'm on kind of a, a maintenance plan right now is because there was two weeks where every run I was doing... I think it was five a week. Every run felt like I was struggling. Like I hated it. I hated getting out there. I like, it, I never got the, oh, this is great feeling. And it, I wait, I waited two weeks to see if it was a little funk. And then I'm like, this isn't changing. I need to make a change or I'm going to come out of this and just quit out. And I made the change. So I'm, you know, running a little bit easier, kind of taking the whole training thing a bit easier. And I'm enjoying it again. I'm wanting to get out there. In fact, I, I ordered some more clothes because I want to go try out some new stuff and some new ideas. And I think you have to kind of look at the long term of like, is it more important to you to keep your resolution and run, you know, for the first three months and then never run again? Or is it more important for you to run, take it easy and continue running for 30 years? Yeah, build a lifestyle of it, right? I mean, we talked about easy accessibility and so we like I built riding into my lifestyle. I will grab my backpack and go and like throw my backpack on to go get a jug of milk rather than take the car that is sitting right there and it's pouring rain and I just grab the bike because it is there and it is an easy you know an easy bike ride because that is what i would honestly rather do even with my pouring rain and the car sitting there i'd rather ride i'd like to throw another scenario out there and this is something that is kind of at the core of the on again off again thing so i i usually do well for three to five weeks running and then what happens is i get sick (laughs) and so after about a week i'm better i feel better i feel like i can get out and go do it again and then it's hard it's it's hard again and so I'm not as motivated. 
Well, no, you feel guilty, but they, there's no guilt in taking a bit of a break. Like, if when I'm sick, I'll just take the time off. I don't even worry about it. Sick is going to happen. Sometimes the best thing you can do for your fitness is to do nothing, is to relax, yeah. to get better. Well, and it's if you're looking so, long term, like if you're trying to do some kind of fitness thing because you want to be healthier overall, it doesn't make sense to push yourself for the, you know, three or four days that you're, you're really sick and get those extra runs in. That's going to hurt you. And it could, you know, if you could go to the hospital because you, if you have uh, pneumonia or something like that, it could make it worse versus just staying at home, taking care of yourself and getting back into it. Yeah. It depends on your fitness level too and what you're going to do, right? Like, you know, me saying, I'm not going to run up this mountain today, but I'm going to go take my kid on a hike. You're two totally different scenarios. One where I'm working hard because I'm trying to go up a mountain fast, and the other one where I'm like moseying along, picking flowers, and pointing out teapots on this local hike because they put teapots out on it. So it's still some exercise or getting out and you know calming down and being able to dress warmer even and lay, double layer up and I'm still getting out and getting some activity in. I mean, I think the the kind of rule is this. I think this goes for strength training too. Is if you stop any exercise, you can pick it back up in two weeks, and you're basically very close to where you left off anything longer than that you know you start regressing and all that but you know even if you regress a little bit still like it's the overall like you're going up like you might have ups and downs and a lot of times it's seasonal stuff you know like during winter a lot of people stop running um, or the people that do it's a lot harder so you're not advancing you're not progressing as much and you just gotta that's just gotta be part of the thing you know you gotta realize like this is something temporary this is something that you can get over and you just stick with it you keep at it and maybe you need a goal too right like my wife is a faster runner than me by far but she really needs a goal she doesn't have some sort of race come up even say a 5k she does not get it as much so we pick one per quarter basically even if it's a local 5k for her whereas myself i like i want to go run these three mountains at some point this summer so i need to be in shape to do that as fast as possible and that is the only goal that i need i do not need to do it with anyone else and that would be fine with me. And I, you know, quite regularly do that plan two months out. I'm going to go do some ridiculous thing and I'll, you know, I'm going to train for it over the next couple of months just to, you know, tighten the fitness up to where it needs to be for that event. I think it's if you feel sick and it's, what is it, above your shoulders, like, you know, like you have a runny nose, your throat's slightly sore. Almost every source I've seen says you're fine to run in that as long as it doesn't get worse. And actually, sometimes the running, the extra oxygen, the more forceful breathing, sometimes that will actually clear up a lot of the symptoms that you have. Um, I've gone out, you know, with kind of a sniffly, almost cold thing. By the time I came back, like all my symptoms were gone. Um, it was just, it was minor enough that I was able to work through it. And so that's something else to think about. Mm-hmm. As long as, you know, if it's a, just the first day or two of a, of a bit of a cold, then I just deal with it. I might go slower, but if it's achy other stuff, then I, if I'm aching, I just hang out and watch movies, which usually means frozen with the kids. <laughs> again and again and again. They must know my kids. <laughs> well, this has all been extremely helpful for me. I was going to say one good thing even to look at is not even just running or doing something like that, but even looking at the boot camps that um, a lot of fitness places offer. And I'm not necessarily talking about CrossFit. And my wife is is a personal trainer and I don't love CrossFit either because it pushes you into some dangerous areas sometimes, especially for people just starting out and not knowing themselves very well. But getting into some boot camps where you're going three times a week and, you know, doing a whole bunch of body workouts and intervals and stuff like that can be fun and in a group atmosphere. So you're more likely to show up if you got other people waiting for you there. It's a really good overall fitness thing. will help get your cardio up and help get your overall core strength and your upper body as well. Because even in running, like core is a big thing. Oh, Eric's because I'm blasphemous because I do CrossFit. 
or because I think it's dangerous or can't, I think it can be dangerous, but any workout can be dangerous if you don't have someone doing it well. I think CrossFit pushes towards dangerous more often than other things do. Yep. So on the days you're not motivated to go, what do you do? Go. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You you roll out of bed. Yeah. Unless I'm sick or unless it's been like a real, say last week I could have fitted in after painting at late at night and, you know, left my wife to hang out with the kids, but I just didn't. The time that I usually would go, which works 99% of the time, didn't work. I didn't worry about it. I'm still riding my bike and throwing a 40-pound four-year-old. I did a bunch of shoulder presses with my four-year-old, and she loves that and curls with the baby, and she giggles at that. So I did some workouts still, and that was fine. If it's not like a health concern or a safety concern, like say we're having like Snowmageddon 2014 or something, I try to go like whenever I can, like whenever the plan calls for it. And I always have that. I can go and come back. Like I had a, a five mile training run I was supposed to do a couple of weeks ago. And I only got out like a mile and a half. And most of that was just walking up a hill. I just, I wasn't feeling good. I wasn't there. My motivation hit pretty much a low that I haven't had for probably all year, if not several months. And I just turned around and came home. And basically I did that, chalked it up as just not a good day and adjusted what I'm doing based on it. But I still got out. I knew going out the door, like, this doesn't feel like it's going to be a good day, but let's see what happens. In the past, I've rearranged my schedule. So, you know, if I'm supposed to run Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and Monday, I just, I'm not feeling motivated. I might switch it to Tuesday, but I don't do that twice in a week. If I do it twice in a week, something's wrong that I need to address. Maybe I need to take a rest week, kind of scale back. Uh, Maybe I need to take a week off and fully recover. But it's, I can't remember where I heard it. It's kind of the idea of you never want to miss two workouts in a row. Uh-oh, I missed Friday and the weekend. <laughs> and Monday, actually. It was three. All right, anything else that we should uh, talk about before we get to the picks? One thing, because this happens a lot, or it comes up a lot, is getting injured. Especially with running, I think it's the statistics are like 50 or 60% of all runners get injured each year, something like that. Um, I don't know how it is with cycling. I'm assuming it's, you know, can be bad or whatever. I think it's you kind of have to look at it all, same as with getting sick. If you get minorly injured, you want to, you know, see if you can work around it. Maybe instead of taking a hard day, you kind of take it easy. But if you actually get really, really hurt, you need to like stop what you're doing, go see a doctor, go see someone who's qualified and see if it's actually something that should be taking you out of your training plan or what. Yeah. Right now I've been battling a bit of a back thing on my right side. My Luckily, my friend has a physiotherapist and doesn't mind getting paid in beer. So I will go see him this week just to get some help on that because I think it's been affecting my running. Another thing that a lot of people don't do, Eric, is they go out and run, but they don't like have a good stretching plan. So I know you do. You have like a foam roller or a roller for massaging your legs, and I have a trigger point foam roller, which is some of the most painful work you'll ever do. But I always feel better after because tight IT bands are something common in running. Uh, and then I have them from cycling and from kayaking from some other stuff as well. And so working on my IT band specifically, and I do it like four or five nights a week, I roll my legs and talking to my wife, you know, after the kids are in bed and that's good self care to help keep your injuries away and keep yourself flexible and keep your muscles supple. And, and that's, you, you need to do that as part of a whole workout plan. Yeah. Like I don't do pre run or post run stretching, but I think I mentioned on the habit show, like I try to do a body weight exercise every night, uh, like daily thing on the days when I run, I get my, um, it's called, I think it's called the stick or whatever. It's, it's for that foam rolling type of idea. And I use that at least on my legs, if not on my back or arms or whatever. And I mean, it, it hurts like, uh, two nights ago or whatever I was doing my calves and I was like, my kid was asleep. So I was like trying not to scream out in pain. 
but the next day I don't have any pain. I don't feel sore there. Um, so that's, that's something important to do. The actual like stretching before a run, there's research saying it's good. There's research saying it's bad. I think it's, you just need to figure out which, what works for your body. I found that actually that for me, the time requirements of doing a three to five minute stretch before each run was just annoying. And so I stopped doing it for that reason. I didn't see any benefit in it. Yeah, I don't do them before, but afterwards, Lululemon has this like 11 minute yoga thing for like opening up your hips. And so I'll do a little bit of stretching before I come in the house, but then I'll get out a mat and my four year old loves to do yoga with me. So we'll do some stretching together uh, in the morning or after my run. She loves it and it helps me, you know, stay nice and loose as well. Uh, one question that I have is, do you need to eat a certain way in order to kind of maximize what you're doing with your fitness or vice versa? Eric says vegan, but he's lying. Yeah, you need to eat plants only. <laughs> no, you need to eat well-rounded. I'm not vegan, but we don't eat, a, we eat very little processed food. So even we make a lot of our bread or we have, we don't, not doing as much now, but we like when I, we have pizza, we make all the dough and all of everything in it. So while it is still pizza, it is not as bad as what you'd buy over the counter. Uh, and we eat a lot of fruit. So we actually listened to uh, eat, move, sleep recently. And then we actually just put a fruit bowl out. And before we did like 10 minutes before dinner, we have cut up vegetables. We just put on the table and let the kids snack on vegetables first if they want as well. Um, so just eating healthy and eating smart. It's not like eating out all the time, not going for the fourth cookie. In fact, how about you just don't even buy cookies or make them and then you can't, you know, can't eat 10 of them. I don't know. I, I have a book I went through last night. It's energy bars and they actually have how to make homemade energy cookies that look pretty good. So, but yeah, I mean, I did like a fitness boot camp with my wife, I think, yeah, before I went running. And part of that, I mean, that was, I think, six days a week. So it was pretty intense. If you ate really bad, whatever you want to classify bad as, you felt it during the workout. Like there are some people that they, they did that, they admitted that and they were puking during the workout. Like it was, they did not give their body what it needed to recover from the day before. And when you're doing six days, it's like an hour, very high intensity stuff. Like you could feel it. And the same with running. I mean, she probably cycling too. Like it's going out and doing the exercise, the activity, like that's important, but it's actually more important to recover. You can go out and push really, really hard, but if you don't give your body the food, the rest it needs afterwards, all that pushing, all that stress you put into your body just goes out the window. Like your body has to rebuild itself in order to get better. For me, I found I'm kind of on like a, I don't like the term vegan, but I basically eat a vegan diet. I've eat a lot of uh, whole foods, a lot of, you know, like Curtis, like not processed stuff. And there's days like, like I remember a couple of runs, like I'm running back and I'm craving like a huge smoothie and I'll make like a 32 ounce fruit and vegetable smoothie. And it's like, I feel amazing after that. And then there's days where I'm running. I don't come, I come back. I don't make a smoothie. I get caught in work. And by the afternoon, I just, I feel like crap. And so I think you need to kind of, you know, understand what your body is and kind of work with that and figure out what's, what helps you recover the best. And that's, I think that's really the important key. It's not what you're doing or, you know, are you eating this superfood or this other superfood? It's, you know, what, what works with your body? Yeah. And something I note too that, so when I'm really in the thick of training hard and, you know, say riding four or five hours multiple times a week, then I will actually like my smoothies will contain protein powder, but for the most of the rest of the year, they don't. There's some fruit and some spinach in it usually because spinach is really good for you and a green smoothie is really good but past that I, I save the protein stuff for when i'm really working hard and need to recover and need to rebuild those muscles and get that protein back into myself this time of year like i'll just come home and you know eat an egg or something and that's fine 
that's that's plenty of protein and really your body stores enough energy on board for like up to two hours of pretty hard workout without needing much and you know you can still come home and eat regularly and, and recover well so depending on your fitness level to start with maybe on some of that yeah and that's actually something to remember especially if you're getting into running or anything for like I hate using weight loss, but like weight loss, you're just trying to like change your body composition. I think it's every mile you run, you burned about a hundred calories plus or minus. So don't go out for a two mile run and then come home and eat two protein bars that have like 500 calories. Cause you actually, if your goal is to like get rid of weight, you basically just added a whole bunch of extra stuff you didn't need. And I, like Curtis said, like two hours is basically the mark. If you can actually not have food for a run that's up to two hours long and you should be fine, you might feel kind of lethargic by the time you get home, but your body actually should have enough glucose in it to kind of manage that. Yeah. So like when I'm running, say on like Saturdays when I go run like 15Ks on on the trails or something, I have my standard breakfast and I grab an extra piece of fruit. So I usually have like two eggs and a piece of fruit and I grab an extra piece of fruit to eat in the car and a spare one to eat when I get back in the car. And then I'll have maybe another like a a half a sandwich or something when I get home just to have some more food because I did burn, you know, I just did burn 1300 calories or something and I'm not going to make it to lunch, but I don't like bulk up, you know, try and get a whole bunch of extra stuff in me. The energy bars I'm carrying are simply there for an emergency like twisting my ankles. Mm Mm-hmm. Yes, and then Eric says it exception. So when I'm going anything over two hours in the cycling or running, then I actually carry food to eat the whole time, and I start eating it at half an hour every half hour because that's what has worked for me. So between energy gels, I split up between energy gels and then something with sustenance, like an actual bar that you can chew, like a Cliff Bar. That's what works best for me. Bananas are also pretty good too, I find, for myself, or like a wrap with like peanut butter, a wrap with peanut butter and bananas in it and honey. That's a good one too for me. Yeah, and same for, same for me except for if it's any run that's an hour. So you know, most of my runs stop at an hour. So if it's a bit longer than that, and that's more along the lines of not that I need the food, it's that I'm trying to get used to the habit of eating the get used to my body kind of consuming and absorbing the stuff on a run because in ultras where you're running, you know, six to 30, 40 something hours, like you have to constantly eat or you can't finish. But for most people, you don't need to worry about that. When it's hot, I also use salt replacement stuff called elite and then I'll use Gatorade, but I mix Gatorade about half, 50-50, what they actually say, because it's crazy what they tell you to put in. Yeah, and so like on a run, I'll do, I use, what are they called, salt sticks, which are like little like pill capsules that have salt and all the other different electrolytes. I take one of those an hour, but only if it's like a longer run, if it's more than an hour. I actually use dates, so I can't pronounce it, Majul, I think is the, the brand or the the variety of the date. Um, I have one of those every 30 minutes, maybe 25 minutes. Um, it's basically, it's all natural. It's pretty much like sugars, fructose, glucose, all that. Um, and it sits really well with my stomach. So I'll have one of those every half hour. And I usually try to bring enough extra, like Curtis said, like in case I get stranded or whatever. Um, and then I might have some extra, like, I don't care for gels, but I find like these like chewable, like kind of like gummies. Um, like if you like gummy bears or cubes. Mm. Like I'll shot have, blocks, shot blocks yeah. from... Uh, from, from Cliff Bar. Yeah. Those are really good too. I like those. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll have that because the dates, they are kind of sticky and they are, they do have a lot of fiber. So like if I want something that's just pure energy, I'll use those and kind of alternate on the really long runs. But I do that and then I just drink water. I did research on electrolytes and sport drinks and all that. And I just decided like, I'm going to stick with water. It's cheaper. I can manage it with the salt capsules and then just normal food. Yeah, when I go for a long bike ride, the Elite stuff has like little tiny, tiny bottles that I'll just throw one in my back of my jersey and I will fill up at local watering stops and then just drop that in. So 
it really depends on how on your body and knowing yourself. So like on an epically hot day, even on a two hour ride, I'll put that in my water, but just on like a standard, you know, 20 Celsius day. Yeah. I don't worry about it. Yeah. And I think like my first half marathon, I made like a, I'm not even going to try to pronounce it. It's a Japanese word. It's basically like a big rice ball. So it's about a cup of white rice with some salt in it and stuff like that. That's what I took for my fuel and my half marathon. I completely underestimated the difficulty and so it should have been like a two and a half hour, you know, trail run was like over three hours and I struggled. And because I didn't practice what I was eating, I had that, just that rice thing, couldn't eat even a quarter of it. And so I basically did the entire half marathon doing like what, almost no food and like maybe 12 ounces of water. Like I, I screwed up really, really bad on that one. And so that's what started me to practice with stuff. And I think, I think that's important if you're going to go for like the longer distances is to practice stuff in training, see what works, see what doesn't. Um, but if you're going for anything like, I would say anything shorter than a 10K, maybe even a 15K, you really don't have to worry about that. You can take a water bottle with you. I found I actually get headaches if I don't have a little bit of water, even on my short runs. Once again, that's just because I listen to my body. Very nice. Do you guys use any apps or anything like that to track your runs or track your food or anything like that? I track my ones, runs with Wahoo Fitness and then you can upload it to Garmin Connect there and then it transfers out to like almost anything else you want like Strava or Training Peaks. Training Peaks is the terrible web app that every web developer would hate but that all the fitness industry uses if you ever get a coach. And then I use one, um, I actually picked it in the past. It's amazing. Like I've used it since, God, as soon as I found it, I guess a couple of years at least. It's called iSmooth Run. It's basically, it works for cycling too but it's a running one. You can make workouts, make programs. It does the run-walk stuff really easily. I have it set now to have a an alarm every 30 minutes for food, and then I have an alarm every 60 minutes for hydration, which is, for the for me, it's the salt stuff, the electrolytes. And the nice thing about it now is it actually works with my Pebble watch. And so I actually have, like, a, a I can look at my watch and actually see what, what's going on, see where I'm at. I can pause it. I can control that stuff. Um, and it's really nice because you can program, like, if you want to do intervals, if you want to just do... I'm going to go out for 10 miles and you can have it tell you when you're halfway so you know to turn back. The developer is really great with it. I'd recommend if you're, if you have an iPhone and you are going to run, you have to get this app. Oh, and I guess cool. the, the big thing with that is it can export to stuff. So I export to RunKeeper. I export to Strava. Um, it will export the raw files to Dropbox for me. Um, and you can kind of put a template where like you have like a notes of like, you know, how the run went. And so it'll take all that. It'll take the current weather conditions. Uh, like average pace, cadence, all that data and send it everywhere. And so like you have kind of this really good, you know, it's basically it records it and then you can analyze it later on. And I've, I actually take that and put, um, I have a spreadsheet in Google Drive that I use to basically log every run I've ever done just so I can see the data in one place. That's really cool. I've been using, uh, there's a 10K app for the iPhone. It's kind of like uh, Couch to 5K kind of thing. And then I've also been using the Nike running app. I don't have the Nike whatever it is that you stick in your shoe or whatever, but it tracks with GPS and stuff, and so it does pretty good, and I'm liking that. So anyway, is there anything else we should cover before we get to the picks? Um, one thing you kind of mentioned it. If you are going to get started running, Couch to 5K works really good. Um, there's apps for it. There's training plans for it. I used a training plan I found online, and I think there's also like some audio like it's in the podcast section of iTunes, but it's just, it doesn't actually change. It's the same training programs. I found that was really good to kind of help me understand the different training stuff. Like, cause I didn't know what intervals were. I didn't know a hard day, an easy day, recovery day. That kind of got me into it a little bit now. Like I know this stuff pretty good. 
Um, so if you're looking to get started, even if you don't want to run a 5K, that's a good one to kind of, you know, give you the progression and get you started in running and stick with it for, you know, three or four weeks. And then you'll be able to know if you like it or not. Awesome. All right. Well, let's do us some picks. Eric, do you want to start us off with picks? Sure. So some of the stuff we talked about, iSmooth Run, the app, that's one of my favorite apps on my phone. There's that site, Dress My Run, which will use the like your geolocation stuff in your browser and actually tell you, based on weather conditions, what you should wear to run, and you can kind of adjust it or just to kind of get an understanding of what to wear. And then there's actually a business pick that I found. It's someone's newsletter, so it's not actually like a website that I can explain, but it's the title is, What Causes Feast or Famine Cycles in Web Development Agencies and What Are the Solutions? It's a nice kind of article talking about if you don't have enough work or if you have the cycle of feast and famine, here's a couple ideas to go through. And interesting thing is this one talked a little bit about like, you know, using advertising or stuff like that, which I see kind of frowned upon in a lot of the other marketing circles, even though advertising is a good strategy for some people. Nice. Curtis, what are your picks? I'm going to pick all running stuff for you. So I've actually already picked many episodes ago my headphones, the Jaybird Blue Buds. And they are wireless Bluetooth headphones that are waterproof, sweatproof. You can't like swim with them, but I finally killed a pair after a year and I've called up Jaybird and they said, hey, send them back. We'll send you a new pair. Uh, and they're not cheap, but they have worked great and excellent connection. And then the running backpack that I use is called the Vapor Cloud by Nathan. Now, the only caveat with that is if you come up like kind of in between sizes, go for the smaller size. I did not, and it I'm going to have to buy the smaller size and then try and sell my other one. <laughs> and then my final one is actually is a waterproof iPhone case, which is excellent because I don't have to like put it in a bag and other stuff. And it's also excellent because when your children decide they want to be bad and they pour a bottle of their soup on your phone because it was on the table, you just say, eh, whatever. And, you know, they get in trouble for the soup, not for wrecking a, an electronic device, which we may have had happen more than once. <laughs> not wrecking it, but only getting them in trouble for the soup, not for, not for wrecking the electronic device. And I, uh, we, like, I've had a couple of life-proof cases as well on, on previous phones, and the um, OtterBox one, I think, is significantly better. That's the OtterBox Preserver. Very nice. I just have one pick this week. I've been having some funky issues with the connection, uh, my internet connection, while recording the shows. And so I wound up getting a new wireless router, and uh, I wound up getting the Netgear Nighthawk AC1900. The model number is R7000. It's got three antennas on it. It's freaking huge. It has definitely solved some of these issues. And I had an Airport Extreme before, and I'd had it for like five years or something. The other issue that I had with it is that it didn't do QoS, which is quality of service. In other words, it actually prioritizes certain types of traffic. So the Nighthawk, you know, it prioritizes Skype over, say, Netflix. So if my wife is playing around with the Internet or doing some whatever, then Skype gets prioritized over the top of that. And that way, these calls come through clearer and I don't get any of the funny hangs and drops and stuff. Anyway, that's my pick. That was a really interesting conversation. Hopefully, uh, some That's other folks. What we hope to have, right? Yep. Hopefully, we can get some folks out there uh, being more fit and having a better quality of life. Anyway, we'll wrap up the show and we'll catch you all next week. This episode is sponsored by Mad Glory. You've been building software for a long time, and sometimes it gets a little overwhelming. Work piles up, hiring sucks, and it's hard to get projects out the door. Check out Mad Glory. They're a small shop with experience shipping big products. They're smart, dedicated, will augment your team, and work as hard as you do. Find them online at madglory.com or on Twitter at madglory. Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. 
Check them out at bluebox.net. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more. Would you like to join a conversation with the Freelancer Show panelists and their guests? Want to support the show? We have a forum that allows you to join the conversation and support the show at the same time. Sign up at freelancershow.com slash forum. 